0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, what a journey! What a journey! I can't tell you, and I can't express how full of joy I am for you. for the story that God is writing. Mainly for his grace and his mercy. Aren't you so thankful for that today? Aren't you just <laughs> thankful for who he is? Yeah. Joe and I were, um, and, and our wives and, and Joe's parents last night, were sitting um, around eating pizza which that's even joyful to say that that we're sitting around eating pizza, spinatos, which is the greatest pizza in all the world. <laughs> um, and as we were we were talking about today, and yeah, he just drove into town, so we hadn't really spent time talking about the service and planning, and um, one of our. Joe and I, as we were expressing our thoughts, and, and some of our um, anxiety or maybe a little bit of fear about today was that, um, that, that it would get lost in, um, in Joe returning or in, in me returning. And, and that's, that's not what's important. And I hope you know that today. I, I hope um, we don't miss Jesus in this story. Because really, it's his story, and it's for his glory, it's, it's for him, all of it is. And if you're new today, and, and you have no idea kind of what's going on, <laughs> and somebody invited you, and maybe somebody made you come, and you're thinking, that is a cult, I am not going back. <laughs> um, come back next week, <laughs> it'll be a little different. Um, So, this week and next week are going to be a little different. Uh, like, uh, as Bill was saying, I, I, I didn't think I was going to start in, for a couple weeks, and so the next two weeks, I just want to talk a little bit, and I want to talk from a passage of Scripture, uh, actually a little letter in the New Testament, and uh, we'll just see where God takes us. And then in, in, in two weeks, on September the 11th, we're going to begin a series, a journey together Uh, based on the the book of James, which is a brilliant book in the New Testament. And it's a book all about wisdom and and how to find wisdom for life. Now, I I won't ask you to raise your hands, but my guess is, if I ask the question, how many of you need wisdom for your life? There might be a few of you that that's applicable to. So we're going to go on a journey for about six weeks together through that book. And um, something that might be fun for us, or at least will allow us to laugh a little bit, is... um, if you've ever done anything stupid in your life, um, send us an email and let us know. Like, tell us the story. <laughs> and I can't promise that I won't share it on a Sunday morning, but I will not share your name. Um, all of us have done, done dumb things in, in life and uh, made really bad decisions. And so uh, we just want to look, look for wisdom so that, that we can find uh, the, right, the right path for us. So over the next couple weeks... Um, We're gonna look at a book called Philippians. And over the last two years, this book has just again and again and again grabbed my mind, my attention. And it's interesting to me that two years ago, my last Sunday here, Philippians was what I spoke from. And as I just asked God to, to give me something to say, I just opened to Philippians again, and uh, I just found myself there. And today I want to look primarily at one verse, maybe a couple. Um, I, I've got some good news for you. Here's, here's the good news. Um, I am not who I was. And um, it'll pop up there in a minute. But I, I'm, not, I'm not who I was. And that's good news. That's really... The story of the gospel, what we find in scripture is that we are not who we were, right? So, so I'm not who, who I was. Now, some of you are probably extremely thankful for that. Maybe you're thinking, well, maybe that means he's not going to preach as long as he used to. Um, you might have a lot of thoughts and feelings about that, but I'm not who I was. Um, there's, there's some other good news. You're not who you were. You're different, Right? We all are different. We're all shaped by external influences and we're all shaped by the internal things going on within us every single day. Now, I've got some other good news. Um, I am not who I will be. I'm not who I will be. And neither are you. You are not who you will be. Now, that can move you in a good direction or it can move you in a pretty bad direction that you are not who you will be. You will be shaped by what's around you, by the relationships you choose, by what you fill your mind with, by the decisions that you're making. And I think Paul, in this letter to these Christians, these young, new Christians who are trying to figure out, how do we do life following Jesus? How do, how do we do life trying to honor God with the decisions that we make. I think Paul wants them to understand that number one, you're not who you were and know that you're not yet who you will be or who God wants you to be. See, that's good news for all of us because all of us, when we look in the mirror, do not see maybe what we want to see there. We are all, if we're honest, very aware of the brokenness that we all carry, aren't we? So, Paul begins this letter to the Philippian church, and he makes this statement in in verse three. He says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to God. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with great joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the story of Jesus. And I feel that way about McDowell. That over the last couple years, even from a distance, when I thought about you, I did so with great joy, for we were partners in spreading the story of Jesus. He goes on, I'll come back to to verse 6, but he says, it's right that I should feel as I do, for you have a special place in my heart. So Paul says to the Philippian church, you've got this special place in my heart, that nobody else, nobody else has. Now you would never sit down with your children and say to one of them, you're my favorite. (laughs) Don't tell your brothers and your sisters this, but you are my favorite. Well, that's what Paul's doing here. He's telling the Philippian church that they're kind of his favorite. Every other letter in the New Testament that Paul writes to churches He writes to them to instruct them or to correct some behavior in their lives, except for this letter to the Philippians. Philippians is all about the joy and encouraging them in the ways of Jesus. It's not about correcting something that he's heard. It's simply about encouraging them in this path towards grace and love and mercy, to taking on the characteristics of Jesus. So they're kind of like his favorite. God knows how much I love you, and I long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Now, maybe you weren't here a couple years ago. Um, I'll call it McDowell 1.0. Um, and so for you to hear me say that I love you is kind of strange, right? Like, you're thinking, we don't even know you. Like, how can you say But I have this love for you as a church that I don't think I've ever held for any other group of people. And I think Paul is saying that about this this church. That I, I have this love for you. God knows how much I love you and I long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. So here's the verse, um, verse six that I want to just I want to focus in on this morning. Here's what he says. And I am convinced that God, I am I'm convinced that God, who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on that day of Christ Jesus. Right? So Paul is saying, I, I am absolutely convinced of this. That God, the God who already began something in you, will be the same God who will continue that work in you until it is finally finished on the day of Christ Jesus. And I believe that about you and us together. I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced of this, that God has started something And he's not a God to start something and back away. He is the God who will stay engaged and continue what he began. Now, Paul is writing this letter from prison, which is interesting. How can can Paul be so convinced from a long distance away, sitting in prison, how can Paul be convinced that God is doing something and will continue to do something in a church where he's not even present? How can he even say that? two reasons. He can say that he is convinced because, number one, he has experienced it himself, and number two, he's seen it himself. He, he has seen it played out in the lives of many other people around him, and so he's absolutely convinced that this God who started something will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus, until the end. Now, just a little context I hope this is okay. Um, so Paul was one of the very first Christians. And Paul was one who, uh, previous to his experience with Jesus, went around and, and oppressed people who followed Jesus. He hated them. He believed that they were distorting the truth about God. And so Paul was on this mission to, to silence anybody who would, who would say anything about Jesus. That's what Paul did. That was his, what he believed was his... Honoring of God was to just silence everybody who talked about Jesus. But then he had this life-changing experience. And so he then began to see his call as going around starting churches. So he went to this area called Macedonia. And in this this area was a church, or I mean, a, a city called Philippi. And Philippi, when you think about Philippi, think metropolitan city, large city, one of the primary cities of the world at that time. And what Paul would often do is he would go to the Jewish center, the synagogue, and begin to try to convince people there that Jesus was the way, that they had worked so hard to do the right thing, to follow all the laws of God, but they would never be able to do that. And so following Jesus, leaning into Jesus, trusting that Jesus did something for them that they couldn't do for themselves, this was the way to go. And so you know what? He showed up at this Jewish synagogue. You can read about this story in Acts. He showed up at the Jewish synagogue, and in this day and age, men were kind of always in the, in the synagogue. There were no men there. It was like a women's Bible study. <laughs> so what did he do? He started to tell the women about Jesus. Now, this is not how you should start a church in the first century, Right? In the first century, women weren't trusted. They were seen as property. Thank God we have changed, right? <laughs> women, you are supposed to say amen to that one. <laughs> so you don't start a church with women in the first century. That's just not how you do it. But Paul didn't care because he knew God could do more than anyone else could dream or imagine. So he starts talking to this woman named Lydia. Lydia, we find, is, is probably from... Uh, from, from Asia, and she seems to be this very sharp businesswoman, which again is strange in the first century. She, she, she seems to have a lot of resources, but she wants to honor God. So she's the first convert that we see in the scripture. This, this woman is the first convert, and Paul says, I'm going to build a church here. He leaves this meeting, he goes out, and there's this slave girl, this young girl who they say is kind of possessed. She's just used by men and women for their own good. And Paul looks at this young girl, I guess Lydia wasn't enough, so he tells her the story of Jesus, and something happens to her, and she is the second member of the Philippi church. Two women. Because of this, Paul's thrown in prison. So he's sitting in prison and uh, he's shackled his hands and his feet. Now, if we were in the first century, we probably would have, if if we disagreed with Paul, we probably would have hated him because he just never shut up about anything. So he's shackled and the jailer is there and he starts singing songs about Jesus. And I'm sure the jailer is like, Will you just be quiet, please? You're getting a little bit annoying. And he continues to preach and sing songs and he's shackled. And something strange happens during the night. There's this like rattling of the prison. It's like an earthquake. And the shackles fall off. Paul stands up and the jailer. So in this day and age, a jailer was so responsible for the people that he held in jail that if they escaped, he would be put to death for them escaping. So Paul wakes up. And he sees this jailer, and this jailer begins to see that all, uh, all of his prisoners are starting to leave. And so he pulls out a sword, and he's getting ready to literally commit suicide. And Paul said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute, we're not going anywhere. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus." <laughs> and he starts telling him about Jesus. And it says that right there. The jailer and his entire family were baptized. In his story, God started something that changed his life forever. Paul is sitting in prison somewhere else, he's writing this letter. And he's saying, I am convinced. Why is he convinced? Because he's seen unbelievable things. He sees this church that began with a woman, a slave girl, and a jailer who was committed to Rome. He sees this church, starting from these three, having grown so much and having so much influence that he's able to say, I am convinced that God, who began that story years ago, will continue to write that story of grace and mercy in your lives until that day, When Jesus returns, I'm convinced of it. I don't know where you are today in your story, but I am convinced that something in you has begun, or else you wouldn't be here. And you might roll your eyes and you might say, well, Matt, I'm here because my wife made me come. Well, let's just count that as something that God did through your wife. I know you might not see it that way, but let's just count that as something that God did through your spouse or through your mom or through your dad. But I am convinced that God has started something in you and he's not done yet. And that is good news. It's good news for me that I don't look in the mirror and see a finished product because I know what's in here. The things that I don't want you to see or know about me. So Paul says, I am convinced that God, who began this good work in you, will continue his work. What does Paul mean when he says God's going to continue this work? Now, when we read that, it kind of makes us throw up our hands and go, that's awesome. I don't have to do anything. Like, this is God's work, which is true. It is God's work in us to bring about good. So it, it's kind of like laissez-faire, right? Whatever, whatever happens, happens. We can throw up our hands. No, 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 no. That's, that's not what Paul's saying here. Um, anybody ever had surgery before? few? I would have, it sh- have you share with your neighbor, but that might be embarrassing, so I won't do that. Um, I've had two surgeries that I can remember in my life. Um, I had LASIK surgery. They cut on my eyes, which is a little scary. Um, and I had surgery on my hands. Um, the, the LASIK surgery is an interesting one. What they do is they they go in and they, they kind of slice the top of your eyeball off. They don't explain it this way when they're telling you. And then they fold it back and they shoot some lasers in there and then they fold it back on there and they tell you before you leave, they, they say, your eyes are going to itch, but don't touch them for about two weeks. And you're like, that's cruel and unusual punishment, right? And, and, and you say, well, what, what happens if I, if I touch or rub my eyes? And they say, oh, well, the top of your eyeball will, will like wrinkle up, and that's how it will heal, and then you won't be able to see. You'll have like lines and things in your eyes. And so you, you um, shackle your hands behind you <laughs> for two weeks and just hold your eyes open and hope everything turns out. All right. Now, when they tell you that, it's, it's, it's not hard to not touch your eyes because you want to see. Um, the other surgery I had once before was on my hands, on both my hands. And Connor, our oldest, was just was, was young. He was uh, less than one, I think. So he was still in diapers. And, um, so I had this surgery on, on both my hands at the same time. It was extremely painful. And as I was coming out of surgery, it was outpatient. The doctor said, there are a few things that will help um, your hands heal. And I said, okay, what are those things? And he said, well, you need to wrap your hands every day and apply this cream that, that I'll, I'll give to you, and, and um, your wife maybe can help you do that, and that, that'll be great. But the second thing is, you just need to not use your hands for a while. And I said, oh, okay. Um, like, what do you mean, don't use your hands? Like, can I put on a shirt in the morning, or do I just walk around with nothing on? Or I mean, And she said, oh, no, no, you can use your hands for that. But the less you use your hands the better your hands will heal and the quicker they will heal. I said, okay, so we have this baby at home and um, like changing diapers sometimes is difficult with your hands and should I change diapers? And he said, well, if you can't, it would probably be best. And I said, well, let me get my wife to come in <laughs> and um, let's let her make her aware of this conversation <laughs> so I don't get in trouble later. And she did, and and the doctor said, I need you to cooperate with me in this. Now, when I went in for surgery, and they kind of put me out, and they began working on my hands, the doctor did his work, right? He did the things that I couldn't do on my own. He did the things that only he knew how to do. There was some pain involved, but it was his work, and I trusted him. I allowed him to take my hands and do what he needed to do. But I had a role to play. I had to cooperate with the work he had begun in me, or my hands would never heal as they were supposed to. Does that make sense? So listen, so when Paul says, I'm convinced that God, who began this work in you, will continue this work, it's not this, this saying that God's gonna like from a distance like zap things into your heart and into your mind and into your life and you can take, it's not like Carrie Underwood, Jesus take the wheel and just walk on in life. No, 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 no. It is you must cooperate with that spirit who is working within you so that you become who God has started you to become. Does this make sense? Yeah. So Paul says, I'm convinced God's not done with you. So cooperate with his spirit. Cooperate with his work until it is finally finished on that day of Christ Jesus. Uh, for some of us, this is, and, and, I, and I would say for many of us men, this is the hard part. Because, you know, we, we like to have like an end date in mind when we have a project before us, don't we guys? We like to have a finish date. We like to have a, it will be complete here. But Paul reminds us that this won't be complete until we see Jesus face to face, until the end. And so for for some of us, we're kind of like, well, I'm not so sure. I want to have like that time when I can say, we're done. And he said, no, 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 this is a lifelong journey that you're on, which I think allows us to be very gracious with each other to realize that we're all in process. Every single one of us are in process. It allows us to give each other grace because we realize that we need grace more and more and more. I am convinced that God, who began a good work in you, you individually and you corporately, us together, I I am convinced that this God, who began this good work, will continue to work in us until that day when it is made complete in Christ Jesus. That is good news. It's good news. I think that's why they call the story of Jesus the gospel, because it's it's good news. Okay, one last little thing. Um, Later in his letter, and I think this is where a lot of us get caught up, later in his letter... Um, Paul says this. He's writing about his story, and he says, I've not achieved it yet, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Um, I think this is where a lot of us get caught, is in the past. I think a lot of us get caught up in... In back there. Either for the good or for the bad. Like something back there good happened. And so we continue to see live, life as the good old days. I wish I could return to the good old days. And we we live our lives hoping for something that's already happened. And we get we get stuck. And I love Paul's. Words there when he says, "Forgetting the past, I press on. I fix my eyes and I press on to what's ahead." Have you ever noticed in your car that the the windshield is about twenty times as big as the rearview mirror? There's a reason for that, right? It's true about life too. Allow the windshield to be bigger than the rearview mirror. Don't allow the rearview mirror to be your focus. But sometimes. Things happen in the past that aren't good, and so we're not hoping for the past, but sometimes things that hurt us in relationships, in our emotions, in our lives, that we are not able to get past, and we get stuck in our journey. And if that's you today, if you're stuck, and there's something back there Know this, that God is not finished with your story. He is not, he's not, he, he's not finished. And I'm convinced of it, that he has something for you. He wants to shape you and mold you into something that you are not today. And that's good. Joe's gonna teach us a new song this morning as we, as we close and we wrap up. And it's this, um, this song that, that is called Resurrecting. And it, and it says this, that the resurrected king is resurrecting me. Isn't that a great line? The resurrected king is resurrecting me. And as we learn this song and start to sing it together, um, we want to give you some space. There's some crosses up here with some paper and some pens. There's some candles in the back. And maybe today, um, maybe, maybe today, God's spirit has been nudging you and moving you. Mm-hmm. Maybe something has come into focus that that is in your past that has been holding you back. And if that's you today, I would encourage you to come to one of these crosses and just write it down. And just put it up on the cross. The cross for us represents the story of Jesus and where he took all of that for us. And God, in a sense, washes it away. So maybe you want to write that and put it up on that cross. Or maybe you want to move to a candle. Light uh, in the Bible represents God's presence. And maybe today, as you walked into this room, you feel like God has been distant from you. Like you you feel like you're totally alone and that God's spirit, maybe he started something long ago, but he has been silent since then. And so maybe you want to light a candle and simply say, God, um, I pray that your spirit would continue a work that you began long ago. Or maybe for you, um, maybe it's the prayer is that God would begin a new work in you. Maybe you need something new, and you need God to begin something in you. So we're just going to lean into his grace this morning. We're going to lean into Jesus as we learn this new song, and we're going to find that God never leaves us all alone. I am convinced that the God who began a good work in you will continue that until the day of Christ Jesus. Let's stand together. God, you are a good God. And I'm so thankful that we're not alone in this world. That you haven't left us to figure it out on our own. I'm so thankful that you're a God of grace and mercy. God, as we lean into that grace today, I pray that you would resurrect us again and again and again. You would continue that work that you began long ago. Thank you for the story of Jesus, which gives us a perfect picture of your love, your hope, and your grace. We pray all of this in his name.